2 Samuel 23. Now these are the last words of David. These are the last words inspired by the Holy Spirit in which David is writing in a psalm form. I guess some call this a psalm. And, and I just need to distinguish because there are going to be, there's still more in the life of David. And he does have things that he says to different leaders and to his sons, uh, especially to Solomon and taking over. But this is the last writing where the Holy Spirit comes upon David as he was not only a king, but it tells us he was a prophet. And he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the title's beautiful, the last words, because he's taking inventory, looking at his life, his legacy, and what he has left, what he's realized he has left behind. Boy, if we, if we live consciously with that, I think we would be in those times of compromise and temptation, and, and we would really rethink through it, saying to ourselves, um, What's the legacy I'm leaving behind? And David's looking back now, and he's got some good things and some bad things, a lot of insightful things. But here's how he starts that off. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Now, now you say, well, that's factual. But yet, guys, you've got to realize that he is saying, I'm just an ordinary guy. I didn't come from royal stock. I just, I was a humble shepherd, which is the lowest in the caste system of this day. My dad was just a humble guy living in a humble city, Bethlehem. And I grew up in very humble means. There was nothing saying as I was a little shepherd out keeping the sheep that one day, God would have done the things he's done in my life. And it's a powerful thing when God gets a hold of a man and he takes that man and he shapes that man and he grinds that man and he breaks that man and he humbles that man and uses that man. And David is looking back and saying, there was nothing special for God to work with, but God, through this very humble little boy, the least in his humble father's house, God used him mightily. And he says very plainly, thus says the man, not Superman, not righteous man, just a man raised up, notice this, on high. David would later write in Psalms 113, verse 7 and 8. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. David, more than once in his life, even as a king, he got into the ash heap. <laughs> After he sinned with Bathsheba and murdered her husband Uriah, he was on the throne physically, but he was in the dumps. Physically and emotionally and spiritually, he, relationally, he was at an all-time low. And God repeatedly went to that 
ash heap and raised him up and continued to exalt him, even in weakness, even in sin, even in struggle. And in Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7, he makes a note of this. Exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge who puts one down and exalts another. Why? We don't know. That's a mystery. (laughs) We do know, the Bible says, if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, then he is able, according to his timing, his choice, his will, to raise us up. And so we just always want to be of a humble heart, realizing God is God, and and we are just a tiny little lump of clay, (laughs) a little tiny dirt ball on this little tiny dirt ball flying through space inside the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy is flying through space, (laughs) through an incredible universe. And as you look out, From the Hubble scope and look down, you can't even see planet Earth now, but if you could, it would be a tiny little blue dot. And that tiny little blue dot of dirt is a tiny little dot. You. And God knitted you in your mother's womb. God knows every hair upon your head. God's mindful of us, and and his desire is that we would humble ourselves so he can exalt us as he wills, as he desires, not because we are worthy, not because he owes us, not because in and of ourselves we're living some amazingly righteous life that God has to take notice, for we all fall short every single day of the glory of God. But yet David says, God did it, and God desires to do that in every one of us. You say, how do you know? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says that all believers after the cross of Christ. It always blows my mind where Jesus in the Gospels, when he was talking about John the Baptist, he said, who is this guy? He was just a voice of one shouting in the wilderness, make way the Lord. But I tell you, from John the Baptist all the way back to Adam, There's never been a greater man that's lived on this earth than John the Baptist. Wow. But Jesus doesn't end there. He said, but after the cross, even the least in the kingdom of Christianity, after the cross where God's spirit can live in us, even the least of all Christians, after the cross, till the Lord returns he says, is greater than John the Baptist. Wow. This is why it says in Revelation 1, uh, verse 6, that he has made us all kings and priests unto God forever and ever. Well, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, it says this, but you, after the cross, you born-again believers who have received Christ into your life, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice verse 10, you, you once were not a people, but now you're the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we also are one that can say, God came and took me out of a very spiritually poor, poor place, out of the ash heap. 
And he lifted me out of that ash heap and, and made me the garbage collector in that kingdom. <laughs> he made me a, what? no, he made us all kings and priests unto our God. So all of us can bear witness with a great humility and thanksgiving of David saying, yes, God has done this for me as well. And then he says, the anointed of God of Jacob. Now, David was anointed in 1 Samuel 16 by Solomon as a very small boy. And then later, when he comes back into leaving the land of the Philistines after Saul died, he comes back into the land with, of Judah and there in Hebron in 2 Samuel 5. He was anointed again. But this isn't just talking about the physical anointing. He's talking about a calling. And we would say in the New Testament, being ordained by God, chosen by God. And that's us in John 15, 16. And this is what David's declaring there, saying, I'm the anointed. Uh, he's saying, you did not choose me, he says in John 15, 16, but I chose you. And like David, appointed you, ordained you, anointed you that you should go and bear fruit, your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Once Jesus, we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me, Lord, I, I can't deal with even the least of my sins. The gospel, the good news comes, which says, I paid for all of your sins. From the first sin of Adam to the last sin ever committed on earth, at the appointed time, the one time in history, that perfect time where Jesus died on the cross for all of the sins previous to the cross, but also all of the sins after the cross. Because Jesus was human flesh, he could be a substitute, but Hebrews says because he was God in human flesh, his sacrifice would apply to all men of all times. And so now if you say, I'm a Christian, no, you are much more than just that simple thing. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy people. You are a special people. You're kings and priests. And you are now living. Each morning you wake up, God's got a purpose, a plan for your life. And it's to bear fruit, not temporary fruit that's only good for this earth, but an eternal fruitfulness, a weight of glory that'll last through eternity. And then he wants you to understand that when you pray, you are not going through a mediator anymore. <laughs> You're not going to a human priest. You're not going to Mary <laughs> or one of the apostles or other people deemed saints. You're not going through anyone, you are the king's kids. And we go directly now to the very throne of God. And so you are made to be fruitful. And when we pray, it's going right to God himself who's hearing our prayers and answering because we are also by, made by Jesus, sons of God. Well, in verse the very end of verse 1, he says an interesting title here. He says, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Interesting, he said in the last verse, 
I'm the anointed of God of Jacob. You got to realize when these guys write this, they're making a, a point. Remember, Jacob was that sneaky, conniving guy who stole his brother's birthright and, and manipulated his father by pretending he was his brother. And, and then he went and he out manipulated his father-in-law Laban and, and, and God stopped him and wrestled with him and, and pinned him down. And, and he said, what's your name? And he said, I'm Jacob. I hate that name. I hate my nature. I look back at my life. Jacob would say, evil and few have been the days of my life at 137 years old. At that point when he was wrestling with the Lord, I don't think he liked looking in the mirror. And God said, no more. You're now, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. One who is now going to be, at this point forward, no longer a sneaky thief who has to control it in his own strength and, and try to make the will of God happen by his own conniving. You're now going to be one governed by God. So David here is, is making it clear, when God anointed me, I, I was still a Jacob. I still had Jacob things going on in me, but not always. God eventually made me like Jacob, changed him to Israel. God took this Jacob David and turned him into a Israel David. It, it, aren't you just happy? Because we all know that that's us, right? <laughs> I mean, God who began that good work is what? He's going to complete it. And, and we do wrestle with God, trying to work it out in our own strength, and our own slickness, and our own credit cards, and our own connivings, and, and, and we just be at rest. We don't need to do this. God's got it in control, but it takes faith, and he's got to build up our faith and to come to that place. But notice here, David looks back on his life, and, and he says, my claim to fame is not that I'm a giant killer, my claim to fame is not that I was a great warrior and the greatest general that Israel's ever seen. I look back over my life and it's not about me being a king and royalty and, and conquering a larger part of Israel than, than the nation of Israel had ever seen up to that moment in time. And would ever see, by the way, up until Jesus comes again. He just says, I look back over my life and it's not the earthly conquest that have made me great. But it's, it's when God's spirit comes upon me, not what I, I did in the power of the strength, yes, through God, through the Lord, that was the Lord helping me kill Goliath. And that was God that helped me to be a, a great king governing by the mercies of God. But I, I realize now the greatest thing that God's ever done through me was to make me a man who could be in the spirit and speak the word of God. Interesting, Peter says that let all of us, when we speak, speak as it were the utterance of God. Peter, Paul says, as we speak, let everything we say be unto edification. And David eventually came to that place where he was just wanting to live in the presence of God and, and just seeing and write the, the beautiful things God was giving him. And, and it was the spiritual legacy that he left behind. 
That would be his greatest legacy. And I, come on, guys. Do we get that? Do we get that? It, it's not buying the kids the thousand toys in their lifetime they're going to remember. But they will, will remember every evening. Dad sat down and, and told us a Bible story. And, and just out of the riches of what God had been speaking to him, he shared with us. I know, <clears throat> by God's grace, I just said, you know, as a parent, I may get everything else wrong. And I did, by the way. Um, <laughs> I got that part right. And, uh, but I, I said, we're going to just have a, a moment each evening with the kids. And I, I, I don't know, it, it changed their age and school and as they got older. Um, but just to, to say five minutes, man, I'm just going to, you know, as they were younger, I would just have a storybook Bible and often have a little two-year-old here and a, holding a baby here and, and just flipping through it, you know, and they would just be hungry more and more and more and more. That storybook Bible leaves out genealogies and, and some adult stories, but just gives you the, the story from A to Z so they would know the whole Bible. We read through that so many times. My, my goal was the time they were 12, they would know every unique story in the Bible. That they would actually know Hezekiah is not a book of the Bible, but a king. <laughs> and they would know the book of Malachi and what God has to say. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, you know, it, you can imagine kids in junior high years and they, they become perfection and excuses, you know, but just five minutes, you know. And uh, just read a little scripture and warm their hearts. And, and uh, it was always in my wife's heart to get on our knees and pray as a family. Nobody liked that, including me. But uh, it was important. And, uh, and uh, you know, sometimes it was five minutes, and sometimes God's Spirit met us, and it would be an hour, two hours, them asking questions, and just fruitful, fruitful times. And, uh, and so, you know, I, as a parent, looking back on the legacy, it's like, you know, I didn't get a whole lot right, but I, I was able to do that scripture that says, fathers, teach your children, admonish your children. As you walk along the way, as you sit down, as you rise up, speak the word of God into their life. And David, in essence, did this. He, he wasn't a very good parent. But we see in the book of Proverbs where Solomon got it. He, he says over and over again, when my father set me down and told this, fear God, son. When my dad said to me, Look at that young boy walking by the way to the prostitute's house. Let me tell you, son. And Solomon richly gives us the wisest book in the Proverbs, quoting his dad over and over again. We say, well, Solomon was the wisest man on the earth. But we clearly see as you read through Proverbs, read it again that he felt that foundation that God's spirit, when he anointed him, as king, the groundwork had been laid by his dad. And it was a powerful thing that, that God did. And guys, it's this simple. You praying is the most powerful thing you'll ever do on this earth. The sweet prayer at Calvary Chapel will be your legacy. Spending time in the word, 
sharing your faith. Only one life soon will be passed. Only that which we've done for Christ will last, right? Well, I gave my kids a great vacation tour in the United States. That's great. They'll remember that vacation. But what you'll find when you're laying on that deathbed is what is the spiritual legacy, not only for my family, but for everybody around me. Was I light? Was I a salt? Was I fruitful? And that fruit remained. David is saying, I got it. When I learned to walk in the spirit, it was sweet. It's so sweet to walk in the spirit. And when I started walking in the spirit, my spiritual gifts started flowing. And, and, and I was able to stay there that last season of my life. And that is my legacy, the sweet psalmist of Israel, not the great giant killer or king. And then he says in verse two, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was on my tongue. So he recognized this that it wasn't just merely his words, but it was God anointing him prophetically speaking. We see this in the book of Acts chapter two when uh, Peter is preaching the first message on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and cloven tongues of fire fell on all of them and the, and the multitude show up saying, what meaneth this? And Peter begot, started preaching Christ and him crucified that by the the for knowledge of God, Jesus died on the cross by your hands. You nailed him to the cross. But this was not done with, without God planning it out in advance. And he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 25 to 31, Peter then goes to the Psalms. And he said, David says concerning him, I foresaw... I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he both is dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. But yet this psalm says that his body wouldn't see corruption. And, and Peter's saying, we know David's body did see corruption. So, so what do we say of this? And he goes on to say in verse 30 there of Acts 2, therefore being a prophet, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Notice here, David being a prophet, knowing, knowing what would happen one day when Jesus would come to earth. So he says in verse 31, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ and that his soul, not David's soul, but Christ's soul, would not be left in Hades. Don't get tripped up on that word. It's the word Sheol. It was the, half of it was the bosom of Abraham and half of it was Hades. It's another story for another time, but it's not, not referring to hell. Nor did his flesh see corruption. Jesus' flesh didn't see corruption. And so we see that, that David, as he was writing many of these Psalms, he understood, I'm not writing about me. I'm writing about the Messiah. Him being a prophet, being moved up by the Holy Spirit, Peter actually says in the book of Acts, and David spoke by the Holy Spirit, saying, as he quotes him again. This is important because in 2 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, private origination. It didn't originate from that man. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but listen to this, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And David here is realizing when I was in that sweet place and I was writing these Psalms, I understood I was writing prophetically of the Messiah. And, and he says it here in a phrase that until after the cross, they couldn't have discerned this. They didn't quite understand it. But David says, as I spoke, it was by the Holy Spirit and it was God's word that came off my tongue as I wrote those Psalms and I sang those songs. It was like, whoa, what am I singing here? What am I writing here? David didn't even fully understand at the time, but he knew that God was using him in a powerful way as all men of God who wrote scripture. Well, in verse three now, so the God of Israel, take note of that again, of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. So notice in verse two, David mentions the Holy Spirit gave me the word that I spoke from, came from my tongue. And now we have here in verse three, and the God of Israel said, and then what? The rock of Israel spoke. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul explaining that Exodus trip, he said, moreover brother, I do not want you to be unaware. And then skipping down to verse four, and specifically, he says, and all drank of that Spain spiritual drink, for they drank of this, that spiritual rock that followed them. And what? Say it with me. That rock was Christ. Do you see David here in verse 2 and 3 is speaking of the triunity of God? The Holy Spirit gave me his word, and I spoke. And the God of Israel said, and the rock of Israel spoke. And we see within this David understanding things uh, of the depth of God, even in his triunity. And he said in verse, and then he said he must rule over men, must rule justly, ruling in the fear of God. Boy, that, that sounds exactly like what Solomon wrote in many different ways in the Proverbs. And so he, he made it clear that God's desire is that righteousness. When a man rules, he would understand that his authority comes from God and that he would submit to that and respect that. And when he would make a decision, make a judgment, it would be acknowledging God is the final authority. Being ripped down from many of our courtrooms and our land today, behind many judges for many years, in God we trust, now being deemed in some courts as breaking separation of church and state. Ridiculous. If you read the Constitution, it doesn't say separation of church and state anywhere. That is a phrase that was brought about in the late 1950s in trying to describe what they believed that said, but it never said that in the Constitution. 
It was simply saying we don't want a religion like in England, the Church of England or the Catholic Church or like in Germany, the Lutheran Church also running the civil government. That's all that our forefathers were saying. But many, many courtrooms throughout our land had the Ten Commandments on the wall. That for sure now has been deemed illegal to have that. But here God sa says that, you know, the way it works, the way God had planned, and when you stop acknowledging God, God stops his favor upon that land. Well, in verse 4 now, he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, the morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. David is saying when a man rules in justice, righteousness, when a man is walking in the fear of God and the awe and the reverence and the respect that all things have been made by God and all things need to eventually submit to him and glorify him, that it's the most beautiful season a land will ever see. I believe prophetically here he is speaking of the coming of Christ. When he comes and rules in righteousness, and that thousand-year millennial reign after the tribulation period. Right now, life as we know it is going to end with the rapture of the church. Any moment, any day, any hour, we're going to have a prophecy update this year. Have a special time for the kids on Sunday night, December 31st, and have some jumpies for the kids and some special programs. But 6 to 7.30, we're going to have some special music, and we're going to talk about this, how to live and, and to look at the, the scriptures on the life we're living in these last days. And um, it's, uh, it's very clear that we are in that time when the rapture is going to happen. And then it starts a seven-year tribulation period. At the end of the seventh year, we all come with Christ to the earth for a thousand-year millennial reign. So you say, man, I was so busy going to the orphanage, I never made it to Europe. Yeah, spent a hundred years there in the millennial reign. I was so busy teaching Sunday school, I never got to learn how to scuba dive. Ah, scuba dive for 100 years without any scuba gear. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to go to K2. Go there on your flying horse. I, understand, guys. Give, and it will be given back to you. Press down, shaken together. When, when Peter said, Lord, we've forsaken all. We've, we've sacrificed all to follow you these three years. And Jesus says, you're going to be rewarded not only now a hundred times fold, but in the life to come a hundred times fold. That's just the millennial reign on earth. And then forever and ever in a new heavens and a new earth. Always in perfect righteousness. There'll be no sun in that place because the Lord himself will be the light. His righteousness will be our sun throughout eternity. In Matthew 24, 7, it says, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. And even they who pierced him, referring to the Jews, all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so... Amen. Well, going to verse 5. Although my house is not so with God. Oh, piercing. Yet 
He made me with an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? So David said, I felt, I felt in my own home. I, I didn't succeed. Maybe some of you are, are saying that as well. Well, guys, it's okay. It says in Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Like David, you might say, but not so with my house. In Psalm 17, 15, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. What did David say? He says, but yet God is going to give me a house that's going to be from everlasting to everlasting, a covenant that will be ordered in security. And all my salvation and all my desire, it will continue to increase throughout eternity. I wish we had time to just read the entire chapter of 2 Samuel chapter 7. When David just hungered in his heart as he's looking at that old tattered tabernacle in Jerusalem. It had seen its better days. It wasn't holding up. And then David walks on down to his cedared mansion and his palace of made of cedar. And he's just sitting there in this beautiful home. And then he goes to worship in this tattered tabernacle. And he was there in the meditation of his heart going, God, this is wrong. I shouldn't be living here. I feel guilty when, when your house is in tattered and ruins. I'm going to build God a house. That's going to be the greatest house on earth. And, and God said, uh, Nathan, go talk to David here. David, do you really think man can build me a house that would be fitting for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end? Do you think any man could do that? And he said, yeah, that's a good point. Can't be done. He said, but I'm going to allow it to happen. But not through you, through your son Solomon. I'll allow that to happen. But he goes, because that was your heart, David, I want to tell you something. And he says in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16 and 17, he says, but your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, according to all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. God said, David, you're looking at your house and your home and your kids hate each other and are killing each other. Your, your relationship with your son Absalom is non-existent. He, he fled away, living in another country. Your other kids are killing each other and hating each other. And, and, and you've got several wives and all these concubines that you should have never have had. I said, I told you not to multiply wives to yourself, but you blew it there. And God just says, David, it's not happening on earth. I'm sorry. But you know what? I'm going to build you a house, a kingdom. I'm going to build your throne in which I, the Lord, will sit on it forever and ever. You can read the very first verse of the New Testament. You know what it says? 
This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. What about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Oh, they get mentioned later on. But that's the way Jesus sees his lineage. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to take that throne, that earthly throne of yours, and it will be my heavenly throne forever. That's how I think of you, David. And then David goes on to say, okay, God, you said it. He says in 2 Samuel 7, Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, establishing it forever, do as you have spoken. Let your name be magnified forever. By, and he says, by doing this, as you have spoken. And I wish I had time to read. That's your homework. Jesus speaks out of us in John 14, verse 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. In Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tapping of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Wow, be it so, Lord. <laughs> I be it so. You're going to establish our house. You're going to put us in your mansion, in your kingdom, forever and ever. And he ordered it securely. In 1 Peter 1, it says in verse 4, skipping down to verse 4, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, kept by what? The power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last days. David realized that after he sinned with Bathsheba and thought he had mucked up his eternal life, thought he had ended the promises of God for him because of his horrible sin of adultery and murdering of Uriah. He thought it was over. And God came and said, nope, you've sinned. And David said, I did sin. He said, then I forgive you. The promise remains. And David in that wonderful Psalm 23 ends it by saying in verse 6, Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. How long? All the days of my life. The good, the bad, the ugly. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How? Forever. I will. I will. Not I hope. Not maybe. But he, he realizes all of these promises of God are yea and amen because of the mercies of God. Because of the faithfulness of God. Because if I could have messed it up, it would have already been messed up. <laughs> but it's kept by the power of God. 
Isn't that a wonderful truth? David understood that a thousand years before Christ. But in verse six now, he says, but the sons of the rebellion shall be as the thorns thrust away because they cannot, take, cannot be taken with hands. They're porcupines, don't touch them. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and a shaft of spear, trying to deal with a rebellious, stubborn, self-willed spirit. Ooh, you gotta be really armed or you'll be wounded yourself. But God's gonna deal with them and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. You know, when I just read that beautiful passage of comfort in Revelation 21, I read verses one through seven, but there is a flip side to that coin. Look at verse eight, Revelation 21, eight. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolater, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Take a note. You, you would have th thought that the top of God's list would have been child molesters, serial killers. What's the top on God's list there in verse 8? Cowardly. Second one is what? Unbelieving. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but you must come. You think, well, I'm not one of those really on fire type Christian guys, but I certainly believe in Jesus and think he's a great guy. And if I were to go to church anywhere, it would be a Christian church. Guys, that's not, that's not saving faith. True saving faith surrenders all and lives in surrender daily to Christ. That's true saving faith. And so again here, those who are unbelieving those who are cowardly, they don't want to stand up and say, I am a Christian. I want to be counted with Christ. I want to live for Christ. I'm willing to be persecuted for living for Christ. Well, in Matthew 25, Jesus makes it clear that hell was never made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels, but unbelieving man will go there. Unsubmitted man will go there. And you say, well, Brian, there's got to be the eighth verse to comfort me on the end of that. No, no, that's where it ends. A sober moment to say to all of us, am I sure if I were to die today, I would be with Christ? The church in Laodicea thought, oh yeah, I'm good to go. And Jesus said, no, you're compromising, you're lukewarm. You say I'm greatly clothed, but you're naked. You see, I see spiritual things so clear. I say you're blind. Behold, I'm knocking at the door of, not non-believers, but the Christians, there are people that are claiming to be Christians at Laodicea. I'm still trying to bring into submission the church in Laodicea. I can't even start talking about the non-believers outside the church in Laodicea. Right now, I gotta become the king. I need to set upon the thrones of the heart of the church. And so again, we just need to come and ask ourselves that question as David so aptly put it, Lord, search my heart. See if there be anything evil in me, wicked in me, unsubmitted in me, not yielded to you. Am I saying, God, I'll follow you, but not my money. Lord, I'll follow you, but Sunday mornings, that's it. You got that day and the rest is my time. 
Lord, I'll follow you, but I don't want to tell the Lord about anybody. I want to be a witness. I'll follow you, Lord, but I want to be one of those crazy on fire type. No. It's, it's, you come to that place. The Bible says you fall upon the rock and you're broken. If not, we read here now that one day that rock will fall upon you and crush you to powder in a place where there's burning, the lake of fire with the devil and his angels forever and ever and ever. And so I say to you, today is the day of salvation. Don't hear this message in vain and say, not me. This is a good message for somebody. I wish they had been here today. I hope they are here today. I don't know. No, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now. And we ask ourselves that question, God, I, I, I know in my mind I'm submitted. I know that on a perfect day I'm submitted. But Lord, am I daily denying myself, taking up that cross and, and truly following you? Or is a compromising commitment, as I think in my mind, a sufficient commitment? Is my presence here on Sunday morning count for enough of a true life of submission that you talk about daily meditating in the word of God, praying without ceasing, daily encouraging one another, why it's still called day. Lord, we, we just read throughout the Bible, it's every day they gathered manna and had enough manna for that day. Every day, it's surrendered. Every day, it's our time, our energies, our life, in our finances, in our home, at work, in our words. Is everything living to submission and glorifying of you? Is it in you, Lord? Is it in you, O oh Lord? We live and move and have our being. If that's not the case, just fall upon the rock right now. Be humble that God can lift you up. God, forgive me, cleanse me. Wash me, heal me, restore me. I just, I just sense right now the Lord wanting to encourage some of you that that which the locust has eaten up, your flesh, your bad choices, the devil, that bad season, God's going to give it back to you a hundredfold and refresh you. God doesn't want you to miss out on anything he has for you, even in that time of disobedience. He wants to refresh you right now with all those blessings you missed out on. But you gotta come and say, Lord, I'm, though no one else will follow, yet I'll follow. If following you means to die, <laughs> to suffer daily, I, I'm willing, Lord, I don't care. Whatever it means to follow you, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you to the end. And Lord, please give us a heart here at Calvary Chapel to be a really a church that follows you with all their hearts. And Lord, let us, by your grace, make this a house of prayer. And through prayer, Lord, see our community one. See our families one. See us be used to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. More, more, Jesus, more. We want more of you. Let's just stand right now and lift our hands and just as we go to worship, just say, Lord, more, God. Just be like a, a teapot. <laughs> just say, Lord, fill me up here, Lord. Be a cup opened up. Lord, fill me up, God, with your spirit. Fill me, Jesus. Jesus.